Hi, everyone. Welcome to the RM Podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Toole, and I hope that you are ready for an all-new lineup of experts who are itching to step out of the parameters of traditional recruitment and talent acquisition speak and get real on what it means to recruit on a worker economy and, quite frankly, an upside-down world. Let's dig in together. The Washington Post recently published an article with Reshma Shajini that was forwarded to me by so many of you listening. If you don't know Reshma, she is the founder of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Moms, and she's also an author. In her new book, Pay Up, The Future of Women and Work, and Why It's Different Than You Think, she argues, accurately in my opinion, that the pandemic exposed all the hidden work domestic work done by women, and that we now have this once-in-a-generation opportunity to change that. COVID blew the doors off recognizing that workplaces have never been built for working mothers, and 86% of women in the workforce will, at some time, be a mother. And we've always been operating on this proverbial seesaw, balancing our home life, balancing our career life, always trying to shrink ourselves to fit in. Today, we'll continue the conversation from last episode and discuss what the future of women and work looks like. And I'm so excited to be joined for such an important conversation by Jess Von Bank, head of marketing at LeapGen. Jess, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm fantastic. I'm so happy to be here. It was only a couple of months ago where you and I were chatting on your podcast, The Now of Work, and I was like, okay, we've got to get just on the RM podcast because even though you were doing some amazing work in you know the actual employee engagement and employee retention and all of the stuff that happens once you've got somebody on board in the company you started as a pioneer in the recruitment marketing space with one of the first technology providers in the space long long ago mm-hmm. jobs to web it all comes full circle uh yeah and then, yeah, totally. Yeah. When I introduced myself, I, I mean, once a recruiter, always a recruiter. I re- my first job out of college was not as a recruiter. It was selling commercial business insurance. And one of my colleagues said, you would be such a fantastic headhunter. My wife does that. And I said, what is a headhunter? <laughs> <laughs> and I had a conversation with his wife. And lo and behold, I was destined to be in the talent acquisition space. It's all about relationships and connecting people to opportunity. And then I fell in love with the technology that helps us create a better experience and do a better job of that. And so you're right. I was sort of at the front of the employer branding, recruitment, marketing, talent attraction side of our space. And now I've spent my my whole career in people and talent, the solutions we use uh, to do a better job of making work work for people. I love that. And, and I mean, work should work for people, right? It is a huge part of our lives. It's where we spend the majority of our day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but when you find that synergy between the work that you're doing um, at home and at work is where really the magic happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the reality is most of us work because we have to, we have bills to pay. But I I do believe, I truly believe that we we want to, we are wired to want to do fulfilling work that ties to our individual purpose. We want to make a difference in the world and work is a great vehicle to do that. Uh, Some of us do it in our personal lives and in, in other 
you know, avenues, but work is a great vehicle to do amazing things with amazing people and make the world a better place. And I, I think that it can be that way. It should be that way. It absolutely should be. And you and I got a chance to really get to know each other um, when I was at Smashfly and you were working over at Q Social with Josh Schwady and so yeah. many other amazing, talented people. And I mean, when we say everything, you know, comes full circle, you guys were then acquired by Symphony Talent, as as were we. So lots of ties here bringing us together. Um, So you really have roots within our space, our industry, our company. And, you know, Lauren and I, as we were were prepping for today's conversation, she's like, oh, we still find some of Jess's works and, and little nuggets of Jess anytime that we're doing website work or blog work. You still have left your footprint everywhere that you go, um, and and that's why I couldn't be more excited to to have you on and and chat today about the work that you do. So share with our audience mm-hmm. that may not be familiar with you what you're doing today over at LeapGen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I described my experience and my beginnings in in the people and talent space, but at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller. I love to connect the dots. And so I find myself in roles that allow me to do that or that or that need that. We don't do a good enough job of connecting the dots between why we do what we do and the actual people that can benefit. And all of the solutions that you and I get so passionate about, this whole, you know, technology space, there's so much amazing technology. There are so many tools to help and support people, but we don't do a good enough job of of connecting the dots to the people who are actually using them and should benefit from them. And, And it really needs to be about changing the way people work. At the end of the day, you haven't really pushed the envelope unless you've tangibly changed the way we connect people to work. And so at LeapGen, we're HR transformation consultants. We help HR departments, people functions inside the world's biggest enterprises, reimagine their HR operations, their service delivery models, how they deliver services and experience to the workforce, and of course, all of the tools and technology they use to do that. And so that's the whole HR technology, HCM market, talent technologies, all of the stuff we know exists but we really reinforce the difference between digital and technology. You have to think digital. You have to think like a consumer. You have to do human experience design to bring technologies and experiences to life to actually provide value. So that's what we do at LeapGen. I run marketing and brand strategy for us. We partner closely with the vendors in this space. We think a rising tide should lift all boats. And if we're really going to change this space, we have to help not just employers and enterprises, but the actual solution providers who are making these tools for them. And so I help them with all of their, their uh, connecting the dots, as I said, sort of their messaging and go to market and, and how they connect solution to value. And I'm, I'm just giddy that I get to do, to do all of that. Well, and I think that your energy is infectious. It spreads with everyone that you work with and you speak with, and you do such an amazing job of bringing those stories to light. And, you know, Two weeks ago, we had Chandra Sanders on from the Mom Project, specifically talking about the work that they're doing with Rise, where they are helping to reskill women of color to help them get back into the workforce, helping b- build up their 
um, confidence of how they talk about gaps that they've taken in work and helping them build out their resumes and, and some amazing things. So first of all, pause listeners. If you yeah. have not listened to that episode, go listen to that first. Cause we're going to build on that because Chandra and I spent a lot of time talking about bringing women back to work. And what I really want to spend some time on Jess is talking about the women that are doing the work right now. Like we know that we have lost women and that is because we haven't made work work for them, as you mentioned. And so what can we do um, to make work work for women, work for working moms, work for women that are supporting other family members and that have these dual roles and, you know, this is something that you are super passionate about, that you advocate for women on a daily basis. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love for you to kind of share some of the research that you found in digging up. Hey, we can do better because I know you've done the work. You've yeah. done the research. You're you're super, um, you know, well-versed on this subject. Yeah. I mean, I think the first place to start is is awareness. Educate yourself and build awareness awareness around the fact that the system is broken. If we don't start with that acknowledgement, then then what are we fixing? And so we do have to understand that women participating in the labor market, actively participating in the workforce in the way they want to and can relies on, over relies on other systems. It relies on school and childcare. If those two things aren't in place, women do not and cannot participate in the same way as their male counterparts. And that's just a, a statement of fact, because, and the pandemic proved that. When schools and childcare systems broke down, work broke down for working women. That's why 5.4 million women lost their jobs over the course of the pandemic. 2.1 million women left the labor market entirely. They didn't just change jobs, find another situation that better suited them, went where the grass is greener. They fell out of the working the labor market altogether, and two in five of those may never return. So we have to ask ourselves why. What happened? Why did it break so drastically? And again, we know there are systemic reasons. There are there are. We have not built the system of work in a way that accommodates anyone and everyone who can participate in it. And right now we're talking about women and working moms, but think about all of the groups that is true for. Think about diverse populations of the workforce who can't approach work in the same way that you and I can, who have difficulty participating in the same way without flexibility creativity, basic accommodation. And I'm talking about such basic accommodation, it's sad. It makes me so mad when I think about all of the easy things we can do to make work work better for people. And so that's like literally where we need to start. And then there are bigger, there's harder work to be done. There are bigger changes that need to be made because this is really systemic. This is a systemic problem. One one example is leave, paid leave, so that other caregivers can step out of the workforce and step back in when it makes sense and not put all of that burden just on mothers and, and women caregivers. And so those things like leave policies, of course, that's harder work. That's policy work. That's system change. But we have to do that, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just about putting the leave policies in place. I think that is step one. But I think the harder thing to do is break the bias that happens when somebody takes leave. For some reason in our society, we have 
looked negatively upon people who take breaks in their careers, that take leave in their careers. We want to celebrate them on one hand. We're like, oh, that's amazing that you were able to take a step back in your career to take care of your mom and spend time with your mom you know, towards the end of her life or whatever the situation is, right? I'm using that as an example. But on the yeah. flip side, when they come back to work, we look at it negatively. And so I, there has to be this, yes, we need the systems in place, but the bigger challenge is how do we change the perception of some of these policies that we're going to put in place so that people do take advantage of them and don't feel guilty for doing it? Yeah. Again, I think it's really important to lay to lay down straight facts. So what you described is what I would refer to as the motherhood penalty. And speaking of Chandra and the mom project, they've done great research around this, but you can find it anywhere. The stuff is not hard to find if you want to understand the impact of uh, motherhood, I guess, on, on work. And that shouldn't be a bad, that's, I say it's not a bad thing, the impact of motherhood. Um, but the motherhood penalty refers to the fact that women are less likely to work when their children are young than when they're older. So when you're actively raising small children, you're less likely to participate in the workforce. About 43% of women workers, I bet you don't know this, 43% of women workers have at least one year where they have no earnings. Now think that's probably when they had a child and took leave, paid or unpaid leave, in this case unpaid, I guess, or they decided to step out and do some child rearing at home during the early years. But the average woman, about 43% of women have one full year with no earnings. They never make that up. We never make that up. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the primary reasons behind the pay gap. The pay gap exists because we have these peer, these milestone like sort of moments where we lose earnings and then we never make them up again. In fact, once we lose earnings, that kind of domino effect continues. We're less likely to go after a promotion, again, when our children are young in particular, and we're passed over more. Whether or not you've stepped out of the workforce to do child rearing, you're you're overlooked. In fact, one of the stats I found, 17% of women have been passed over for an important assignment. 16% said they were passed over for a promotion because they have children. And so and all what, and what that doesn't even people. show is the stat of women who didn't even go for the promotion. Who didn't even go for it. Who, so did, that, who thought, so, oh, I can't, I've got kids at home. Like, I don't know if I can take on more work. And they like put it on themselves, Right. Exactly. I had, a, you know, I had a conversation with Chad and Cheese on their podcast around imposter, around the imposter syndrome. Um, and that drives me nuts. Like I sort of had a visceral reaction when they asked me to talk about the, uh, about women and imposter syndrome, because my response to that is no wonder, no wonder <laughs> women have imposter syndrome. We have barrier upon barrier upon barrier, and it's tiresome. It is literally tiresome sort of debunking myths about how women participate or don't participate. And Sheryl Sandberg tells us to lean in. What if I want to lean out? This is too much right now. My priority is something else. And so we have all of these talk tracks and all of this language in our head and all of these preconceived notions and biases and all of these things we have to overcome when really it's up to us. Number one, we have to have privilege and choice. And we don't have either one in today's system and how we've set things up. We don't have 
some, some of us do not have privilege and most of us don't feel a sense of autonomy and choice. We feel judged. We wonder if it's okay. We know there are repercussions and sometimes we're okay. Like, okay, I, I, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to go raise my kids. I have too many kids. I can't do it all. You know, but do I truly feel a sense of choice and freedom? And, and do I trust that my employer or an employer will welcome me back in a fair and equitable way, will provide basic and reasonable accommodation to allow me to participate in a way that makes sense for me? And I, I would like, I envision a future, you know, I'm raising three young girls and I am, I am bound and determined to change the conversation in my lifetime because I envision a world where empowered women can work on their own terms with no judgment, no repercussions, and certainly no hit to pay or promotion or succession possibilities, no hit to their opportunity. Be I celebrated for it. Yes, exactly. And so imagine a world where I say, boy, I really, I've got a lot, (laughs) there's a lot going on right now and I'm going to choose to handle it in this way. I need to flex right now. I need to go part-time. I need to flex my hours. This is the schedule I can work. This is how I can contribute value. Maybe I just choose one project to actively participate in, take everything else off of me right now. When I'm ready to do more, I'll let you know. And like, that's a very adult, we don't, we don't even work like adults. Like we, we sort of like dance around, pay conversations. We tiptoe around, you know, can I ask for flexibility or accommodation? Oh my gosh, can we just work like adults? And can women find their voice and say, this is what works for me. And because I'm a high value, high performing contributor who you should want to, you know, like, let's have this conversation and, and. Uh, to me, I th- that that is that is such a human, respectful, dignified way to approach this, and we're not we're not there yet, but I I think we can get there. We're not. You're right. We can. We're making progress. You've touched on so many key things there that I I want to kind of double click into. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of them is when you talked about the pay gap, and we're just kind of level set for everyone. I know we talked about it, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but. Just to reiterate, guys, we, you know, when we talk about the gender pay gap, we've made improvements, but we have not made significant improvements. We have still this huge pay gap that when you look at the World Economic Forum, they say it will take us 135 years to reach gender parity if we keep going on the parallel path that we've been going on, right? We need to make changes to start to level that playing field. So I think that is one area where Every employer can do their part to help in leveling that and start to empower women. But you're right. We've got to take control of our own careers. We have to be able to find our voices. And we have to feel comfortable in our work environment to be able to voice that and have those adult conversations and feel Mm -hmm. supported. And, you know, you and I were chatting. Sometimes that is kind of, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be in that position of making that choice. It's a position of privilege to be able to have those conversations and not all women are in a position of privilege and that adversely hurts the diversity of most organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Debbie, at the time of this recording, it's March 17th. You'll release this shortly. Two days ago, March 15th was equal pay day. 
That means the average woman had to work until March 15th of this year to earn the same as the average man earned in the last calendar year. So men were done working on December 31st, earned what they earned. To make up the gap, we had to work until March 15th. That's how to to translate equal payday. That's horrible. And Biden kind of came out with a little bit of celebration because it's earlier this year than it was last year. It's still March 15th. Yeah, it's still March 15th. Guys, and, we're talking like two and a half months here. Like this is this is not like a small amount of time. This is like, why am I working harder <laughs> and longer, both at yeah. home and at work, to bring home the same amount yeah. as my male counterparts? Yeah, somebody. It's really important. I have to call this out. It's really important. It's really important. It's really important. The equal pay day for Black women is September twenty first. And that's shameful. It's shameful on all of us. Shameful. So yes, the pay gap exists. And there are huge, there are a few key drivers behind why that happens. We just talked about the motherhood penalty, the fact that women step out of the workforce for child rearing, which should be their right and their privilege, their choice to do that, but they shouldn't suffer consequences for it. That's one of the the drivers behind the pay gap. The other one is the broken first rung to management. We're not promoted at the same rate as our male counterparts. Either we don't step up and ask for it for reasons we know. We kind of, we, we, ta- we, we, we dance around some of them, but for other reasons too. And these are like, these are true like diversity and inclusion things that need to be addressed in your organizations to understand bias that exists in your, in your consideration, your, how you see talent. There's, there's bias there that needs to be overcome to fix that broken first rung to management. Um, And there's other reasons too. So, so closing the pay gap isn't, it isn't an oath or a commitment that you need to make in your organization, a promise you put on your website. You actually have to open the books. I'm a believer in pay transparency and you have to look for a disparity. You have to evaluate positions Uh, And when we talk about equal pay, it's equal pay for equal jobs. If you and I do the same job and we are equally skilled, there should be equal pay for that. I'm not saying there's not room for negotiation. There's not room to excel. There's not room to be a top earner because you have unique skills and all of that. Like all of that is still true. I'm talking about basic parity and equity for the same work. Uh, And so you have to like open the books and understand Jess, you actually, and I'm going to link it in um, the the episode notes because you wrote an article um, kind of outlining what are the 15 things that employers yeah. can start doing to attract hire and, and treat working moms fairly. And, you know, one of the things that you talked about is you have to track it. You have to have transparency. And I think that is so key, especially when we talk about the pay gap and what you're talking about in that rung to promotion is if you are just thinking that, hey, like we're going to pay everyone equally at the same level, that's that's step one, right? But if you are not yeah. tracking, what is the rate of which we're moving women up in the organization? What is the rate in which we're moving diverse candidates in general up in the organization? And how does that compare um, to their counterparts? And then being transparent around we're not doing enough. We're not doing the right things. What conversations can we have? What programs can we put into place? We're never going to mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. And again, I'm going to beat the drum on intersectionality. You can't just look at it for women. Don't that's that's important. Start looking at women 
But then don't stop there. You have to measure intersectionality, which means apply other demographic filters to that to understand women caregivers, women of color, people of color, women of varying needs or lived experiences, other facets of diversity. Because I promise you, every stat I rattle off, I'm big on just straight facts and data and show me, you know, truly try to understand these issues. Every stat I rattle off for women is twice as bad for women of color, just double the badness. (laughs) And so you have to remember, it's not just women, women of color are impacted or women caregivers are impacted even more adversely. And so when you look at ways to reduce bias and to track representation Uh, and to create parity and inclusive environments, which are truly accessible and approachable and have all the right accommodations in place, you have to look at those additional factors. And, you know, the other piece that I want to touch on today is, and this is something you, as you mentioned, you are raising three strong little girls, not so little anymore. They are growing into strong little women. Um, but it is something that is so important to you is to make sure that you're passing on these learnings to your daughters, to the next generation. And, you know, I think that we have shown in the last two years some positive and negative to our children. But I think we oftentimes are overlooking the impact of what's happening in the workforce today and how that is being shown to our children? What example are we setting when we see all of these people leaving the workforce? What example are we showing when we're having to shoo our children out of a screen or tell them to be quiet because it's going to interrupt, you know, my professionalism in the workforce? I think there's so much that we are overlooking of the examples that we're setting for our children and where we can do better. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite words is permission. We have to give ourselves permission and we have to give others permission to have a voice, to take up space, to ask for what we need, to say no, to set boundaries. Um, And we weren't good at that, most of us. I mean, I'll just make a general statement. We weren't all all that good at that even before the pandemic and then add all of these weird pandemic circumstances and conditions and sort of like this weird blurring of lines. And we, we celebrate that like it's a good thing. And it is, there are a lot of good things to blurred lines and, you know, sort of that home life thing that just became super fluid. I actually don't prefer it all the time. I would actually like you to all be in another physical location for a few (laughs) hours a day so I can use my whole brain on this whole task. Like I don't, multitasking is horrible. Agreed. Um, That means I'm multitasking. Everything is half-assing everything. And so like, and so, yes, it's a good thing to be celebrated, but it's probably really good if you don't have three critters hanging off of your arms, like, you know? And so, um, I don't, the way I think about raising my own kids and the way I think about being a voice in this space and for women and, and, uh, and working moms and single moms and all of that, I realize I have a big voice and I use it. I try to use it for good. I'm good at self-advocating. I ask for what I need. I stand up for myself. I teach my kids how to stand up for themselves. I teach, I teach them escalation, you know, the proper escalation path, you know, when to ask for help, where to find help, 
how to find advocates and champions on the playground because that's their world right now. It's the same skills they're going to use in the workplace. And so that's like me and my little world and the impact I'm able to have. But I truly believe we we all need that. Not every woman has found her voice yet. And, it, and they're not going to march into their boss's office and self-advocate tomorrow because they heard this podcast. If it gives you a little bit of permission that you can and should, and you have allies and advocates and champions out there, um, I mean, that, that starts a little snowballing effect. But please, uh, I say this all the time, please don't make women do all this work. Supporting women is not the work of women. It's the work of employers and human beings and society. Like, don't make us row, you know, do all the rowing and climb uphill on our own, on our own behalf. That's exhausting. If we can do one-to-many work as much as possible and pave the way, somebody blaze the trail for the trailblazer, please. Um, that That is your job. If you employ human beings, that is the dignity you owe them. And so I, I like I, I speak about it from both angles. Like, yes, women, go, 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 ask for more. That's also exhausting. The mom speaking of the mom project, they put out great research about the fact that women do more than their male counterparts to represent the underrepresented. They do more to support marginalized groups. They do more to drive diversity and inclusion in their organizations because it benefits them. Obviously, you know, obviously that benefits them and that nurturing caregiving part may come easily to some women. I'm not going to make that generalization, but maybe that kicks in a little bit too, but that is exhausting work. So now you're creating a burnout factor for women who are just trying to make life better for themselves and everybody else. Now they're burned out doing it. Uh, so it's it's really unfair. Don't don't create these conditions. Help reach out and help. And and I that's the difference between an ally and a champion. I've been asked that question a lot too. An ally puts acronyms behind their name on LinkedIn. Awesome. <laughs> Need that too all day long. Or go out and make you know make a great social media post showing your support for Women's History Month. I love it. That's great. That's perfect allyship. It's a good step. A champion, step in the right direction. We need those. But we also need champions and champions, in my mind, have influence, authority, budget, decision making power. They can actually activate change. They're in control to change the system. I need champions, too, because otherwise I'm just rowing against the current, not making much progress. I need champions all day long to change policies, to institute change, to hold people accountable in organizations for new standards, new measures of success for this work. Jess, I think we can end right there with a standing ovation. Lots of like people clapping and like, yes, yes, as they're listening to this episode. Um, so relatable. I think every single working woman can relate to these struggles and these internal and external struggles that we all face. And this has given us some really key ways that both we can stand up for our own voices and our own needs, but also to find those allies, to find those champions, and to empower those champions to help make that systematic change that is going to help drive us forward. And so as we wrap out the session, you know, there are a, a couple of questions that I have for you. One, before we get to our rapid fire questions, 
because you are such a strong ally for your daughters and women in general, you have kind of a little side hustle called Diverse Daisies. Do you mind sharing a little bit about the work that you do there? Absolutely. I started volunteering for this organization about five, six years ago. A good friend of mine is the founder, uh, Kim Perry. And over the past year, some changes in her own life, she found found it necessary to pass the torch. And so I accepted the role of president of this nonprofit organization because I'm a huge believer, not just a supporter, but a believer in this work. It's a nonprofit based here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's designed to present activities, opportunities, enrichment, you know, sort of empowerment to young girls ages 11 to 15. Um, and so we provide those activities, inspiration, connection. It's honestly about connection and relationship, giving these girls friendship with each other, role models, experiences they might not otherwise have. Um, and as my own daughters age into the program, I'm seeing firsthand every single day in real life how truly important and empowering it is. These girls, especially coming out of these last two years, they, it's yeah, I mean, you not just girls, kids, Debbie, you know this. They have had a weird two years. And the and the sad reality is they don't even know how weird it is. They have nothing to compare it to. It by. This is like they're not like they just think life is this weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, as much as we can keep them connected and inspired to like real stuff, like what is real and, and paint a picture of hope and opportunity and excitement and all of that. Anyway, so that's Diverse Daisies. And that's my my side hustle. That's It all ties to my why. Absolutely. And I mean, it's such important work. And you're right. We've got to give them those connections, especially right now of like, what it, what is going to be their why? How do they find their why? How do they connect with others that have similar whys that can help them in, in expediting and and really blowing up whatever it's going to be that they do in the future? So I, I love the work you're doing. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So now we're going to jump to rapid fire. Jess, what is the one book or podcast this past year? I don't know if you're more of a reader or a listener that you have um, consumed that you would recommend for our listeners. Okay, I'm going to tell you one that I haven't consumed yet that I'm dying to, and this is going to surprise you. I was such an avid reader as a kid. I still am. I just don't find as much time for it. I'm such a bookworm. I was literally that kid that was behind a book all the time. We had guests come over. I was climbing into their laps, handing them a pile of books, begging them to read to me. I was an early reader, a fast reader. Uh, words are like mana to me. Uh, and so my mom gave me the sweetest Christmas gift. Like, you know how some of like the sweetest gifts are like the smallest thing, but they're so meaningful. She gave me a book saying everything I need to know I learned in a little golden book. Remember those little golden yes, books? Those yes, yes, yes. There must be hundreds of them. And she literally, it's like everything I need to know I learned in a little golden book. I cannot wait to read it. Oh, it's like amazing. Up, I literally can't wait to just flip through Get all it and of the little and, tidbits you need to start doing that on a daily basis i'm going to start messaging you like have you read your page today <laughs> like make it your devotional for the next couple of I know, months. <laughs> we also ask each guest to ask a question of our next guest so the first i'm going to i'm going to take us back again to chandra um her question is for you how are you finding your forward that's so easy for me because I have, I look at all three of them every single day. I have three girls. I'm, even if I didn't have, somebody asked me one time, what would you do if you had boys? And I said, same thing. I don't know. I you would, <laughs> you'd be doing the exact same thing. You'd be teaching them some different lessons, but I think 
What you were teaching your girls is what you would be teaching the boys too. Only you teach them how to treat girls kinder. (laughs) I think so too. I would still be doing women's empowerment, raising girls, and I would be teaching boys. I think that's just as important. Um, But I happen to have three girls and I don't think that's any mistake on the part of the universe. And so my wife looks at me every single morning. I wake them up for school. I'm intent on changing the conversation in my lifetime so their experience can be different than mine. Not that my experience is all that horrible. I'm just aware every single day that this isn't good enough. It's not good enough for women. It's not good enough for my daughters or yours. It's not good enough for the next generation of kids coming up in the world. We can do better. Agreed. And hopefully I am raising three champions of our future. I hope that uh, that together the girls and the boys will definitely change our future. Yeah. What would be the question that you ask of our next guest? Yeah. Oh, I would say I, I know a couple of the guests that you have teed up uh, and we all work in this where we all look at these and design and bring bring to to our employers and clients amazing solutions. We've never had we've never had better technology than we have at our fingertips right now. And so I guess I would be very curious to know what are we leaving on the table? We have incredible tools, technology, AI, machine learning, science, medicine. What are we leaving on the table? Is this a design consideration at this point? Have we not created the next big thing? And and this is literally an invention and and innovation problem. Or are we not like literally thinking? I, I think we could design almost everything. I think we could create almost anything we need with what we have at our fingertips today. Agreed. I like that. What is the one person that you think everyone should follow? Where do you get your information? Who do you like when you get into Twitter or LinkedIn? Who are you just overjoyed when you see that they've posted something and you go to read it? Mm. Uh, the, a, a recent, uh, I'm sort of like fangirling him right now and trying to bring him onto my show. Chris Hurd. Have you heard of Chris Hurd on Twitter? I have he not. Knows. Okay, go follow him. I gave you something new. Yes. Um, he's a founder. He's a CEO. He's got a he's got a company around supporting remote workplaces. You know, there's so many of them out there right now. Uh, what I love about him is his straight talk, straight shooter, straight truths, straight talk around. Like he makes like really obvious statements that make you go, "Why did yes! I not think of that? Why did I say that? Like I agree." Yeah. All right, Chris Heard. Yeah. First of all, I mean, everybody go follow him. I do too. Yeah, I could tell you all of the big popular people that post all the inspirational quotes, but no, he's my recent like hidden gem. All right. And Chris, if you are listening to this, (laughs) now you're really now you've got to come on. Um, Yeah, we're scheduled to talk in a couple weeks. I'm so excited. And I just spoke with Allison, the co founder of the mom, or the founder of the mom project. Um, And I would say that was my other big kind of find and crush over the last couple of years. I was loosely aware of them. I mean, they really kind of came to light in the last four or five years or so, but now their research is, is impeccable. If you need re I love to ground everything in research and data. Give me the fact and their research is impeccable. Go follow them too. Awesome. Yes, totally agree. And finally, I am, and I think this kind of ties into the question that you had for our next Mm. guest. Uh, We do have a ton of great technology out there. Is there anything that you've seen that you're like, this 
this is what we need, or this I'm excited about, or man, if we could just do this. Are there any new cool tech out on the scene that you're like, yes? You know, I'm going to answer it in a, in a different way. We get really hyper excited about AI. Uh, and I think I think there's huge opportunity. I think we're I think we've scratched the surface. I think there's a lot that can be done, but I honestly think we have to start with automation. I know it's like such a boring answer. What we call it's a AI, real answer. It is a real yes. answer, Jess. <laughs> yes. What we call AI is honestly robotic process automation. Let's start with basic process automation. Basic automation to assist and support humans. Um, because that's sort of the beginning of the digital transformation that wants to happen. Stop doing the the mundane, the repetitive, the stuff that takes twice as long to do if we could only just get a machine to do it. And then we can start doing it intelligently and start to make well-informed, you know, sort of data-inspired decisions. Like we have everything you talk about with AI, everybody out there who likes to preach AI, Let's take it back <laughs> like a couple of levels and talk about where we're at so we can truly get to the intelligence that technology can offer. Amazing, Jess. It has been such a pleasure. I think it exceeded my expectations. I don't even know how that's possible. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm so glad that we got to have you on the RM podcast for everyone that is listening. Jess, where can they find you? I am Jess Von Bank everywhere on social. That's my handle on almost every channel. I'm at LeapGen. We have a community called the Now of Work. There's lots of ways to follow our our teaching, our education, our community. Um, if you just want to stay in the know on stuff and just find a tribe of people who have these conversations in real time, we invite you to listen in anytime. Uh, and I'm at LeapGen, of course. We're happy to help any employer who wants to do this kind of uh, transformation progress. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.